Okay, we're going to do a little remediation today. We're going to talk, go back and talk about something we've talked about before, but it's, I think it's vital, it's key to the elements of the kingdom of God. For me, uh, based on this scripture out of Matthew, I find this to be one of the key elements of the acts of a son of God and the understanding of a son of God. Uh, and that, that deals with the understanding of authority, understanding true authority. And that really transfers to understanding the sovereignty of God. Is he sovereign or not? But Jesus' attitude about it was really fascinating to me. I want to read to you from the 8th chapter of Matthew, uh, beginning with, <clears throat> excuse me, the 5th verse. It said, When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearful and tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I am both under authority and in authority. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said, to those who were falling. Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. He attributes the centurion's understanding of authority and the use of authority with his faith. That's quite a big thing. Our understanding of authority and our administration of it that it would be, be attributed to our faith. <clears throat> and so, what I want to say to you is that everything that exists comes out of some form of authority, real or imagined or manifested, but everything has a seed of authority. Nothing, we know that all that was in creation Nothing was created apart from what Christ created. So everything that came out of it, everything that's in creation came from Christ. But we have other things that man have done, has done that has another seed of authority to it. If I ask you, what is the seed of authority of the, of the United States of America? Where is, where is what authorized the coming forth of the United States of America. It could be a president. Could be. The Declaration of Independence was part of it. The real, huh? The Constitution. The U.S. Constitution is the heart of the defin of the defining. It is not the the throne, but it is 
the defining of the United States of America, what we stand for. I want to say this, though, about the president. Who's the father of this nation? George Washington. Why do we say that? Why do we say he was the father of this generation? He, yeah, he brought forth this thing, all of this thing that we're going <clears> to <throat> speak about as compared to God our Father in heaven, who's the father of all creation uh, that goes forth. But in our Constitution, we recognize the sovereignty of the people as the seat of authority in America. We say that all power and authority resides in the people except that which is expressly given to the government. So there, there's a measured amount of power that the people give up to the government, but, but <clears throat> the sovereign control of this nation <coughs> excuse me, resides with the people. Now you cannot say you're a godly nation if your sovereignty is in the people. We know that in the kingdom of God, God is sovereign. But you can't declare that you're independent and you're sovereign and be a, be a holy nation, be a godly nation. Just because 150 years later you add one nation under God to your pledge doesn't make you a godly nation. You have to be submitted to the sovereignty of God in order to be a godly nation. America never has been, never will be. Well, I can't foresee it becoming a godly nation unless it tears up its constitution and starts this over as a... Uh, as being subject totally to the rule of God. But, but I wanted to use something simple like that so that you could see what was going on. <clears throat> the purpose in discussing authority and understanding authority, I keep getting asked questions about stuff that say, <clears throat> oh, that's, that stuff's really not that bad. You know, I don't think of it that way, so that makes it okay. That makes it Christian. I mean, people trying to Christianize stuff without looking at the seat of authority with it. You know, where, where did this thing begin? How did it begin? And what did it come in? And they think however they view it makes it okay. And, and what I want to get to today is that that's not okay. It's not okay. A few weeks ago, I talked about when Hezekiah was uh, the king of Judah. <clears throat> he found the temple in disrepair, really as having been forgotten and ignored. Now, when I say temple, I want you to think in the terms of the thing that houses the presence of God. We had the Ark of the Covenant. We had the tabernacle. Really, the tabernacle housed the Ark of the Covenant, which housed the presence of God. We had the temple, which housed the, the presence of God. We had the Lord Jesus Christ, and now we have His body. So we are, individually and corporately, we are the house of God. We are where God dwells in earth today. He's here in us via His Holy Spirit. The presence of the living God dwells within you, so you are the tabernacle of God, if you will, both individually and corporately. The greater expression 
of the presence of God is corporately among all of us, but that's who we are. But Hezekiah found the temple in disrepair, and so he spoke to the priest. We have the priest who are the sons of Aaron, which are actually uh, sons of God of the order of Melchizedek, which, which comes through from Adam all the way through Sham to, to, to uh, Aaron to his sons. And they represented, they were the ones who went in and spoke with God and would come out and represent God to, to mankind, represent them to the Levitical priest. Levitical priest would represent um, mankind to the, the, the Levitical servants, ministers, would, rec- would uh, <clears throat> represent man to the, the priest of the God Most High. And that's what the uh, Aaron's sons were. So when, the, so when Hezekiah challenged the priest to restore the tabernacle, here was one of the commands he said, or one of the things that happened. This is in the 16th verse of 2 Chronicles chapter 29. So the priest went into the inner part of the house of the Lord. Very deep within us, think in these terms. The priest went into the inner part of us <coughs> to cleanse it. And every unclean thing which they found in the temple, they brought out of the house of the Lord. Then the Levites carried it out to the Kidron Valley. Kidron Valley, if you remember we're talking about, that's the dump grounds there at Jerusalem. One thing says they went in and found every filthy and decaying thing in the house of God and brought it out and dumped it in the outer court and the Levites hauled it off. What I'm saying to you is we live in a time, in a day, that I believe part of all that is going on around us is God's call to us to go in and clean up the temple, to go in and find every filthy and decaying thing and remove it from ourselves and take no prisoners, get rid of it all. Let nothing stay back in there. Well, one of the things we have to do in order to identify what's filthy and decaying is we have to understand the sovereignty of God. We have to understand that all power and authority, when when God created the heavens and the earth, and he brought everything out of him. He told his son, his son created all the things that were to be created. And then the Lord Jesus Christ came and served in that capacity. And he's returned to the presence of God and, and has all power and authority in both heaven and earth. There is no other power and authority that is real apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. If he has it all, all is all. Nobody else has any. You don't, I don't, none of us do. Satan certainly doesn't. Nobody has any power. It's all entrusted. Nobody has any real power other than than the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he will delegate power to you. He said, you know, it's good that I go because when I go, I'm going to send the the great comforter. But he he will delegate power to you based on your gifts and calling to empower you to be who God created you to be. So there'll be a certain amount of power and authority that will be given to you. 
It is the enemy's intent to come in and deceive you and take that power and authority from you and use it against you. And that's the only way Satan gets power today. Remember the Lord went to Sheol. He defeated all of the demons. He took the keys of death and hell, made a public spectacle of them. That's when he arose to sit, sit at the right hand of God the Father and take all the power and authority in heaven and on earth. So he, he took everything away from the demons. The only way they get power is for us to mistakenly, through deception, to give it back over to them, and they, then they will do it. One of the ways they do this with us is tolerance. Ah, it's not that bad. Don't worry about it. Don't, yeah, don't, don't worry about that symbol on the door. Don't worry about what you've been told. Don't worry about that Ouija board. It's just a game. I know that one myself. It's just a game. Don't worry about it. <clears throat> the truth is, as discerning sons of God, I'm not going to say Christians because Christians are part of the problem. We have, we have Christianized every pagan god you can and brought them into the temple. And this is the filth and the decay that we need to throw out right now. Sons of God, as discerning sons of God, we have to look at stuff and see where its seat of authority is. Where did it originate? Just as all of creation, you can track back to it came out of God. Clearly came out of God. So it's, it's subject to the sovereignty of God. And its seat of authority is in the things of God. The United States of America, its seat of authority is in the people. Our individual rights corporately make up a perceived authority that, rep that means the United States of America. That, that is not a part of the kingdom of God. May be real, may exist, may have its laws, may be uh, because we give it authority, it may can function that way. But it is not godly authority, it's not a part of the kingdom of God. But everything that exists today has some seed. And you as discerning sons of God have to look at something and say, where did this thing originate? The, the two I get hammered about the most is yoga and Starbucks. There is no such thing as Christian yoga. Yoga is came from a false god. It is subject to the authority of a false god. Me saying it's okay because I'm a Christian does not make it okay. It doesn't remove the authority of that thing. Now, that doesn't make exercise and stretching bad. But if you do exercise and stretching, why do you call it yoga? Why do you acknowledge a god of a different universe than yours why do you subject yourself to that god other people say oh that's not really medusa at starbucks it's just a mermaid oh really and what's a mermaid other than it's a mythical goddess people we need to get serious we need to look and examine ourselves and dig deep into the inner chambers, the most holy places 
of the temple of God, which is you and us, we need to dig down deep and find what's filthy and unholy that we have declared holy by our own declaration, and we need to drag it out to the outer court and let the Levites carry it away. God is calling upon his people to do this self-examination and to get rid of everything that is filthy, everything that is decaying, and everything that opposes the will of God our Father. Yoga and Starbucks, Starbucks are just two of them. Everything that we encounter, we need to sit back and look at it and say, where did this come from? And where did, what, what authority established it? And then the big question, am I going to give authority to it in my life? Because authority, whether it's from God or uh, some pagan God, has to be, it, it's a two-way street. God, as I said, uh, God will anoint us with authority. Saul, you and I kind of had this conversation before. God anointed you with authority. What makes it beneficial to me is when I receive it. So I receive the anointing that God gave on you and I get full benefit of it. Same thing's true with false authority. If you recognize, um, like I have with yoga, and my, my declaration is this has no place in my life. I will not give it authority in my life. You'll find that with many other things. If you sit and look, I don't put my hand over my heart and pledge allegiance to a flag anymore. That flag, while I enjoy the privilege of God placing me in this nation, I can't pledge my allegiance to a false idol. I cannot do it. it that opposes my God. That puts the will of the people ruling over me when I do that. You can't serve two masters. So we, as the sons of God, need to become very, very discerning concerning the origination of the things that we're involved with and see whether or not they're of our God's kingdom or they're of a, some other pagan God's kingdom. And, and if it is, I would submit to you to take the filth and decay out and throw it away. This is how the, the glory of God, this is how we prepare ourselves. One of the ways we prepare ourselves to carry the glory of the living God that Jesus Christ left for us here. That's the way we'll qualify ourselves to be one who carries it with the strength and courage that God intended. Okay? Thoughts, comments, questions? So think about the words you say. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United, not to the God of the United States of America. Yes, sir, Saul. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> I would suggest you do. Because, you know, you, you talk about cleaning house. That's scary to do. Because ever since I've been, you know, when we started having these classes, and like, especially here with the corona, and how God is trying to get our attention, 
about getting our house in order and stuff like that. And some of the things that, that, that we claim to, nobody can see them because you don't know my heart. Right. But I know they're in there. Right. You know, and there's certain things that God deals with me about that, <clears throat> that I might let go and I might come back and pick him back up for whatever reason. But like you, right now you said uh, you use the terminology of Christians that you prefer not to use that. And I kind of like that, that you don't use that. Because like I had a guy come visit me Saturday. And I met this guy about a month ago, but every Saturday he comes to my house to talk to me for, for an hour. Last week we talked for about two hours and some change. But he was so mad at, at Christians. And he's got a title too, right? And I told him, you know what, I'm not, I don't do well with titles because all my life I come from the neighborhood where I had a title on me as a Red Bandana, Northside, and from prison to another title, and always gangs, you know, like, like yeah. part of something or somebody. And I got to the point where in prison life, and in prison I got, I got, I got tired of it. And I just, I, 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 I became what you call anti-gang. I started speaking against them, you know what I'm saying? Because I saw what they were doing and, and how we were never getting out of prison because we were putting ourselves in situations where we weren't going to get out. Yeah. You know, so I'm, I, I deal a lot with that, just in, in within myself, you know. And I got to the point where I became independent, but the system made the independent people a game. So there was never, never, never no freedom within yourself. Self, yeah. And now that I'm learning to walk with God, I'm learning that, that I believe there's a freedom that he wants me to, to walk in and to experience, but I'm not able to. Because just a certain thing. Because what? What was that? Just a lot of things that yeah. Well, he, the freedom you're talking about is sonship. Understanding that you are a son of God. That's the freedom you're talking about. Getting there is tough. Getting, getting our understanding around it. Because part of what we're going to do when we go in and take out the filth and the decay is we're going to realign the foundation. We're, we're going to build it on a solid foundation, not on this tilted thing. And one of the reasons I don't call myself a Christian is because what the Christians have done in the name of God. We've Christianized homosexuality. Nearly every church now has a means by which we can ordain practicing homosexuality. So we've Christianized, we've okayed homosexuality. Um, some have Christianized abortion, murder of children, emphasized, if you will. Some of them have, have, have Christianized that. So my problem is the world's term for Christian and church tends to not represent our Father in Heaven. They've taken on their own representation of whatever they want to. My preferred term would be sons of God and body of Christ, or ecclesia, the ones that are called out. But we have redefined what... Our, let me rephrase that. Culture, the culture of the world, has redefined what church means and what Christian means to a point where... It has little or no uh, representation with God our Father. 
and the things that we know to be true. Now, Saul, I don't condemn you for doing yoga, but I'm going to ask you to examine yourself if that's what... I mean, I know why you do it. You like the exercise, you like the stretching, you like the value. And there's, a, there's value in all that. The problem I have is when you call it yoga. Because yoga makes it subject to that God, to that pagan God. And, and I do it because I've learned after the years that exercising is, is, has become a part of my life. Because it's, uh, I mean, I'm 56 years old. I feel pretty good. And I just do it because it, it helps me, just my body, with the, goes with the exercise. I do. So why do you call it yoga, not exercise? Well, I really don't even call it that, but I heard people call it, uh, when I started learning it, that's what it was called. Yeah. They said, uh, have you ever done it? I said, no. And then I, allowed, uh, I started learning about it, reading about it. And, uh, but I never really paid attention to the title. Go. You, 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 I mean, I have heard like, uh, like I even done meditation, and people would tell me that uh, that meditation was bad because it was demonic. Maybe this will settle it for you. Where was that answer? As per yogic scriptures. Imagine that, they got their own Bible. Yogic scriptures, the practice of yoga leads to the union, the oneness, like God wants to have with you, of an individual consciousness and that of the universal consciousness, indicating a perfect harmony between the mind and body, man and nature. According to modern scientists, everything in the universe is just a manifestation of that same quantum firmament. So basically what that's saying right there is, our words would be, this, this uh, yoga is intended to make you one with Mother Earth and no different than the Earth. Yeah, no different than nature. Well, there's a, there's a clear distinction. As a son of God, you were given dominion over that. You were given dominion. No doubt, we came from the dust of the earth. He formed our body out of that. But he anointed us with his spirit. He blew his spirit into us and made us sons and told us to take dominion over these things that they're trying to make you one with. They're trying to rob you of your authority as a son of God. Deceive you out of your authority as a son of God. Exercise is fine. Attributing your exercise to a God that doesn't exist is where the problem is. Find another name. Deny it. Uh, repent for ever having bowed your knee to that God because you know the living God that you serve. Like this person that came to talk to me, he uh, he's a good dude, man. But he brought me, they got their own Bible they print. And he brought me a Bible. And I let, when he came the first time, he came with another guy, an older guy. 
then uh, I, they saw my Bible on the couch, and he goes, they, uh, he goes, I see that you have a Bible there. I go, yeah. I said, I, I read it. I spend time in it, you know. And, uh, but I told him that uh, he brought me a Bible Saturday, and I told him, I mean, I took it. I didn't get it, you know. I said, okay, and I put it up. But I told him uh, that uh, when he was talking about, I saw how he was talking about Christians. I said, well, I'm not a Christian. I said, I don't consider myself a Christian. I'm just a guy that believes in God. And I believe that God touched my life. And uh, he's doing something in my life. Even though I don't understand everything that's, that he's doing at the moment or taking place. But I told him, I got a relationship with God. And, and you know, we kind of, we talked about different things. I listened to him. What church is he from or what? Uh, he's a, uh, I don't even know what church he goes to. Jehovah's Witness. And, and I just listened to him and I told him, well, I don't, I don't want to, I mean, I said, you got a title too. I said, but I don't consider myself a Christian. And then I started telling him about like, like why I had a problem with titles or, or carrying a title. Mm -hmm. And he kind of, I mean, you know, he's all right. He comes every Saturday. And I listened to him. To, this Saturday, we kind of went overboard because we kind of talked like for about two hours and some change and I had things to do and I don't have that much time to do things because of my other job. Well, we as uh, the Protestant churches have a tendency <coughs> to kind of slap around the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons, uh, uh, Latter-day Saints. And they, they declare them cultic and all this other thing because membership in that group is based on your adherence to a certain set of beliefs. Well, I'm sorry to tell you, membership in the Methodist, the Baptist, the Church of Christ, the, the Pentecostal, whatever it is, is based on your acceptance of a certain set of beliefs. So they're all cults. But they're all deceived. No one of them has it right. They all have a measure of deception. And and typically, the biggest deception is they all think they're right. <laughs> they got a piece of the understanding of God, and they went and built an altar around it. And I always say, the Baptists got evangelism, the Methodists got grace, the Church of Christ got order, uh, the Pentecostals got the gifts of the Spirit. You know, Everybody has these things, and they build their altar around it, and they won't let anybody else in, because they will. <clears throat> so, I don't have any more against... Jehovah's Witness or Mormons than I do Baptist or Methodist or Church of Christ. I understand these are all people who have an understanding of who God is, but they have been deceived in a portion of what's going on. Uh, and, and it comes to the heart of what the church is and who we are as the sons of God. Why we have a church system, why the world has a church system, that is based on a word that means division when God has declared that we'll be one. Not that we'll be, have unity. Every time you see unity in, Bible, in the Bible, and especially in the New Testament, if you go look it up, that's been mistranslated. The word there is one or oneness. God always intended for us to be one, baptized by one spirit into one body, one Ecclesia, one group of people called out of the earth, not brought in by denominationalism. A denominator 
is a mathematical term for something that brings division. Why we use that as a means of the system of order for the body of Christ is beyond me. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I can figure this one out. That one doesn't work very good. We are not to be governed by a denominator or by a denomination, either one. So I, you know, I don't have any problem with them. And, and understand he's probably talking to the same God you are, but he has a certain measure of deception, just like when I was tied up in the Methodist church, I had a, a certain measure of deception. And our, our desire, God's desire, is to call us out of that deception. And that's what I'm talking about. When he, when he says, examine yourself and remove all the filth and decay, I would classify that simply as this. Remove anything that doesn't come from your God, from your Father in heaven, God, the living God in heaven. Anything that he didn't give you, get rid of it. Get it out of your heart. Get it out of your mind. You see, when in... I listen to him because to me, I feel like, like, like God will speak to me. Maybe I, I told him, you know what, the reason I allowed you to come and talk to me, because I feel like God is trying to speak to me, and he's using you to speak to me. Yeah. And that's why I feel like, you know, I'm not going to put a title on a dude. I'm going to listen to him, because I'm a firm believer in, in, in for, for years, the system was dividing us. Yeah. The prison system was, was dividing Racial this and racial this, white, Spanish, black, and, and all my life it was part of that, man. Hmm. And and I, when I when I got older and began to realize, man, you know what, we're losing this battle, man. The system is winning. Well, that is the deception of Satan that has been in the earth since the beginning. Uh, it's, it's rooted in a thing we're we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks called the spirit of Cain where jealousy and envy and competition and all these things that come up with, uh, discrimination, hate, you know, all these things come out of that thing. And it's been that deception uh, from Satan all along. And you're right, we're losing the battle because no one will speak the truth. And it's time for us to start speaking the truth. So, so what's going to happen, though? I mean, uh, <clears throat> are we going to be like this till Jesus comes for us or what? Well, there, there's two things in Scripture we talk about. One of them is a great harvest, and the other one's a great falling away. You never, you lived in Rawls all your life. Did you ever see them harvest cotton in May? They plant cotton in May. They harvest it when it's mature at the end of the year. The great harvest that's coming has to come from a mature body of Christ. We have to mature up. And that's what we need to be focusing on is maturing. Along the way, many will fall away. Their hearts will go, grow cold is what uh, the Word of God says, that their hearts will actually grow cold. What I'm saying to that is many of the people God would desire, God's, God's desire is that none should be lost. Many of the people God desire, when they're confronted with this, this, this is an oversimplification of it, but when they're confronted with the standard of Christ, that to which we have to mature into, and all the pieces have to grow into the head, into the full stature of Christ. When we get called into that full stature of Christ, 
many of them will say, that's more than I can handle. I can't do that. I can't give up this. I can't deal with that. I can't. And their hearts will grow cold and they'll turn away. For you, Louis, for us, to answer your question, I think the true answer is this. We're going to continue to mature in the things of God until we paint the perfect picture of the Spirit of Christ in the earth today. Yeah, because I think like like Paul was saying, whenever we were out locked up, I mean, guys would learn the Bible. I mean, they would think that they, I mean, that's all they did. But they would just argue. Yeah. They were right. <laughs> that's religion. Yeah. That's religion that brings division. But yeah, I, and understand this. You uh, and Saul's time in prison, you know, Scripture says we don't suffer these things for our own benefit, but we suffer these things for the benefit of those that we will serve. There's an aspect of the culture that no one but you two can serve. They can't relate. You know, I can't relate to the racism or the division or the suffering that comes from being in prison. But for you guys, you can. And when, when, the, when, the, when God decides for someone who's a former inmate to call him to God, it says no one comes to the Father except by the Son, but nobody comes to the Son unless the Father draws him. If, if there's someone that's a former inmate that God wants to draw, you know who he's going to draw him to? You to. Because you can relate to him. You, just as surely as... as as uh, Paul could relate to certain people and Peter could relate to certain people, you can relate to certain people. And this maturing and this revelation that y'all are being given, this understanding that you're being given, the, especially this thing about I'm not going to tolerate division, I'm not going to play that game, I'm not going to use title, what, you know, the, all that thing that you're saying there, Saul, that is the maturing through the revelation of God to you. You remember when Jesus said to Peter, this was not given to you by man, but it came from my Father in heaven? The, the dislike of division and the love of oneness came directly from your Father in heaven. And, and that's what will qualify you to minister to those people. Okay, thank y'all.